What is up, everybody? Hanging out here with you inside of the Super Powered Pop Studios, superpoweredpop.com, facebook.com backslash superpoweredpop, and on Twitter at superpoweredpop. We're also on Instagram at superpoweredpop. So if you're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, they're all at superpoweredpop. Very easy ways to get in touch with the show. The name of the show is the name of all the social media, so find your way onto there. Superpowered Pop is back and better than ever, and I'm very excited to share with you that we will have weekly shows, and I will be on video. We'll also have them on audio. So Superpowered Pop is back with you. The t-shirts obviously are available. We're going to be looking to make some other cool stuff and do some cool things. Behind me, yeah, these will change. I call them my Easter eggs because I'll I'll change some of the stuff that you're going to see behind me during these videos of Superpowered Pop. So right now you're seeing uh, an Iron Man comic and a Captain America comic that my buddy Eric Bunch got for me. You're seeing my BB-8 headphones and some other cool things, you know, over here you're seeing the Infinity Gauntlet. You're also seeing uh, a picture of Salacious Crumb, and the Fraggles are behind that, right where it says, Hope Makes the Impossible Possible. Right above that is a picture that I drew of Pluto. Let me grab that. I drew this. Where is it right here? So, this is one of my drawings from years and years ago. I looked at a t-shirt, and I put the t-shirt on the desk next to my pad of paper, and I just looked at it, and I drew what I saw. So this is my picture of Pluto. Pluto's my favorite Disney character, and so that is right there, hanging out with us here in the studios. But like I said, things will change. I have a script right here, this this pink thing right here. This is an actual, this is the official script of the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe and, and all the good stuff, so, and Kirsten Dunst and whatnot. So a lot of cool stuff that's here. I have uh, my Banshee that's right up here in the corner protecting us here. This is uh, one of the Banshees from the Avatar Worlds and uh, Avatar Flight of Passage down at Disney. So a lot of cool stuff. Very excited to be here with you. Super Powered Pop. I uh, just wanted to do something impromptu here in the first week of 2019 to let you know that Super Powered Pop will be featuring videos and audio shows. You can get the audio shows by going to superpoweredpop.com and going to the episode archive or by going to superpoweredpop.podbean.com and checking us out there. It's also available on iTunes if you search Superpowered Pop, so make sure that you do that as well. Got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Got a big-time conversation that we're going to have here. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to start off the conversation with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I've seen twice. We're going to talk about the Justice League and what DC is doing wrong. We'll discuss Aquaman that just came out recently here. We'll talk about Venom, my favorite anti-hero of all time. So we'll discuss Venom in just a little bit. And we will also discuss the future of the Venom franchise with Woody Harrelson as Carnage. And of course, we'll get into my favorite binge show right now, which is Runaways. So we'll get into all of that here on Super Powered Pop with Dan Satora in just a little bit here. So, and uh, you're seeing some of the stuff for wake up call here as, as uh, we're crossing our universes, so to speak, just like the spider verse. So you're watching super powered pop with Dan Tortora hanging out here. I want to thank my buddy, Eric Bunch. And I want to thank everybody that's helped out the show in the past. 
uh, Niccolo Cicero and whatnot, you can once again go to superpoweredpop.com and superpoweredpop.podbean.com to pick up our episodes. Love hanging out with you here and having a good time. So let's get into the conversation here in the studios of Superpowered Pop. Let's start it off with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, I had little to no interest of seeing, I had very little interest of seeing this movie, but I went to New York Comic-Con, and when I went to New York Comic-Con, I had the opportunity of sitting in on this panel, and uh, sitting sitting in on the panel and, 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 and hearing from the creators and whatnot of this, I, you know, part of the panel was that we got to see the first half hour of the movie, and not the first 10 minutes, not the first this, for that, but that first half hour of the movie. So being at this panel at New York Comic Con and deciding to sit in and cover it for Super Powered Pop, this is what made me want to see the movie. I went to the panel. It was the first one that I had in the morning, I think on Saturday. And I Friday or Saturday, I sat in to watch no, Saturday. I sat in to watch this. They tell us we're going to see the first half hour. I watched the first half hour with my buddy and my my uh, my cohorts and my producer Nicolo Cicero. We sit and we watch and I looked at him after and he goes, that was awesome. And I said, yeah, now I want to see the movie. And I did exactly that. And I went to go see the movie. I saw it on back-to-back days. You actually, I saw it today at the time we're talking. I saw it today and I saw it yesterday. So I saw it twice here in the first week of 2019. You see Spider-Man Noir in this. You see Spider-Ham, spider Spider-Gwen. She calls herself Spider-Woman, the original Spider-Man. We see Miles Morales. In this as well, you know, a lot of a lot of different characters in this movie, and uh, just a lot of cool stuff going on in this, and and just uh, to me, you know, it was a very unique movie. It was a very unique take on you know the the Spider Verse, so to speak. As uh, Zoe Kravitz was in this movie, voicing Mary Jane, we got to see uh, Shamik Moore as Miles Morales. Uh, Peter B. Parker is Jake Johnson from New Girl. Haley Steinfeld played Gwen Stacy. Uncle Aaron was Mahershala Ali. We had Brian Tyree Henry as Jefferson Davis. We had Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. Rio Morales was played by Luna Lauren Velez. Uh, we had John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. And, uh, you know, obviously he's a, a comedian that's out there. So it was good to see him or good to hear him in this movie, I should say. Uh, Penny Parker was Kamiko Glenn, who has the robot. Uh, Nicholas Cage was Spider-Man Noir. Catherine Hahn was uh, was Doc Ock. Uh, Wilson Fisk was Leif Schreiber. Chris Pine was Peter Parker, the original one we saw. Uh, Natalie Morales was Miss Cayeros. So just some awesome people lending their voices to this movie and ultimately, I thought that this was a really good movie. I, I thought, I mean, the movie did really well. It got a 97%, I believe, overall. It got five out of five on some websites. So, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I thought really did well. I thought the 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 look of it was really cool because, again, I didn't want to go see it because it wasn't live action. It was cartoon. So I was like, eh, I'm not going to go see it. And then you hear the voices, the actors bring the characters to life. The visual effects were outstanding. I thought that the music was great. Uh, the song Sunflower obviously uh, means more to me now, being a Spider-Man fan and seeing this movie and knowing that it was connected to the movie from the get-go. So, you know, and I like how they integrated that, that 
that's the song that calms down Miles Morales's uh, Peter Parker or Miles Morales's uh, Spider-Man, I should say. So he puts on the headphones and and it's just cool. I mean, you you hear that. If I can if I can bring it up here. I'll bring it up here on the phone. So just to kind of I mean, but it's you know, I always like how they they bring music into a movie. You know, you hear a song and there's a wide shot of San Francisco and then you go into the car and the person turns it down on the radio and it's on their car. So, you know, you think that it's part of the movie and nobody can hear it. And in actuality, it's being played in this person's car or it's in their headphones or whatnot. So I thought that Sunflower was just a really good song and I thought it was really cool how they integrated it into Spider-Man. So, I mean, essentially, we see Miles Morales when he calms himself down you know, just essentially put these on and you hear. So I just thought, I thought it was really cool. I mean, because they, you know, they tell him to relax and, and Peter B. Parker says, what do you do to relax yourself? And he starts singing that song in order to let go of uh, being stuck to the light in one of the scenes. So I thought it was really good. You know, I, I think the Spider-Verse is very confusing. And so to do it in a cartoon fashion is to introduce it. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be Sony, but if I was Sony, I would have this Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movie be my way of introducing you to the Spider-Verse, introducing you to the complex, the complex, uh, you know, multiverse that they're living in by doing it as a cartoon because the kids get to see it. So you're teaching kids at a very young age to understand this complex principle. And then you're teaching adults to understand it in a, I don't want to call it a dumbed down sense, but in an easier sense, because it's a cartoon. So it's supposed to be simpler. So basically, you know, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, in my opinion, created a world that is very difficult to understand but put it into very simple terms. So I thought it was a great idea to do it the way that they did it. You know, to you know, once again, we're here on Super Powered Pop speaking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for the entertainment show that I do inside of Dan Tortora Broadcast Media. It's a brother show of Wake Up Call and of Dan on Disney. And to me, you know, to to take such a complex principle like the like the Spider-Verse where there's all these parallel universes and a portal is essentially open by this uh, machinery that Doc Ock and Wilson Fisk put together. Wilson Fisk funds it because he wants to get his family back. And Doc Ock, who's played by a, a woman in this, you know, she is she's the brains behind it and he's the brawn, so to speak. And, you know, to to open up these portals and that, and that's how we see, you know, Spider-Gwen is from her own universe, and then Miles Morales is from the same universe as Peter Parker that we know, then Peter B. Parker comes from a different universe, and then, you know, the, the Spider-Robot and Sidekick and, you know, the Cyanic Spider and all, they come from a different universe, Spider-Man Noir comes from a different universe, Spider-Ham comes from a different universe, and then, you know, there's that uh, kind of spoiler at the end that there's more parallel universes out there and according to you know uh, some some speculation here sony owns the rights to over 900 characters just by having the spider-verse you know just by having these these spider-man characters and once again from left to right we have miles morales we have uh spider-man uh, peter b parker's version spider gwen who calls herself spider woman spider-man noir uh, and then and then from there you don't see the robot in this picture, but this is Penny Parker, 
played by Kamiko Glenn. So we have uh, Penny Parker, and then we have Spider Ham, of course, at the end. And, you know, to me, to I feel like, and again, I'm not Sony, but if I was running the Spider-Verse, which I think I should be, I would introduce this crazy concept in these in a cartoon because it's when you see a cartoon your mind is okay you know this is simple this is understandable a equals b b equals c so a equals c we start to you know when we see a cartoon our minds tell us this is going to be something that we can understand so when little kids are watching this and seeing the multiverse come together the spider verse come together we're creating a concept at the age of three years old five years old ten years old that if they are to move this into live action these kids understand it at a young age. It's not a complex concept. It's something they've always known. And with adults, it dumbs, you know, it, it kind of dumbs it down. And so, you know, those people that are already set in their ways and don't want to be overly confused, when you see it through a cartoon fashion, it brings this concept to life. And I think this is their way of introducing the Spider-Verse. I think this is Sony's way of saying, hey, if we are to create this live action grandeur of, of the Spider-Verse, and we say Venom's in one universe and Spider-Man's in another, and then there's another Spider-Man, and then there's Miles Morales, and then there's Spider-Gwen. And if if they are to do this in this comic booky character voiced cartoon, it stands to reason that if we can buy into this, which it looks like many people have, that if we can buy into this motif, this theme and this understanding, and that they can teach it to us through a cartoon, which is simpler, then, you know, it opens their door to a more complex, okay, now we're going to do a live-action movie. We've already introduced to you that there's different Spider-Verses. We've introduced Miles Morales. We've introduced Spider-Gwen. We've done this. We've done that. So I think that this is a low-budget, easier way to create the world that they want to create with the Spider-Verse without having to pay all these actors to be on screen, and without having to overcomplicate or spend hundreds of millions of dollars on something that's a tough concept. They do it in the cartoon fashion. You pay for the voices. You don't have to have them on screen. You look to see how people react. They've reacted really well, so now it feels good. So now you look at the concept. People start to understand the concept through the cartoon way that you sell it, and now all of a sudden you've saved a bunch of money while instituting a tough concept that can turn into a live-action live action Spider-Verse that can spawn movies from now until forever, and you did it all in a, in a simpler way, in an easier way, spending less money. It's a workable concept to me. Flipping to the DC side here on Superpowered Pop, DC, you know, I, I want to believe that Sony can get better with the Spider-Verse, and I think that this movie shows that. DC constantly is confusing the heck out of me, okay? They have talented people. Now, Henry Cavill is out as Superman. Ben Affleck looks to be out as Batman. Cyborg, the jury's out. Flash's movie keeps getting moved back. Aquaman's movie was just released. And this is their crown jewel here, is Wonder Woman. This is the crown jewel of DC right now. It's the only workable commodity that they have. It's the only one. They have one movie out. They got another one on its way. It's the only workable commodity. I don't understand how having Justice League 
and then taking out two of the main characters ever in the history of DC, taking out these actors, what this does for you. It doesn't make any sense. Ultimately, it was done backwards, right? We look back to the beginning of Marvel Studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this combined universe, this all-connected universe. And if you go and you look at the chronological order of movies that we have, chronological chronological Marvel movie timeline, you know, we go back and we look at this, essentially. You know, we have Captain America, the first Avenger. Now, these are not how they were released in theaters. This is their order time-wise. This is what's supposed to be their official timeline. You know, what happened first. So we have Captain America, the first Avenger, then Iron Man, then the Incredible Hulk, which is the only non-Marvel Studios movie that's considered canon in this, which is the one with Ed Norton, not Mark Ruffalo. The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, the Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Captain America, Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel's the 21st movie, and then we'll have Avengers 4, which we now know officially is Avengers Endgame. So there's a chronological order of 20 movies that have come out and a bunch more coming out with Captain Marvel starting off 2019 and from there Avengers Endgame and, and so on and so forth. So we're looking at the fact that there were more than a baker's dozen of movies, and for those playing the home game, a baker's dozen is 13. More than 13 movies were made before we saw Justice League with DC. And what DC essentially did was they rushed it. You know, DC said, okay, we did a movie with Superman. We've done plenty of movies with Batman. Let's throw them all together. We'll introduce the Flash in it. We'll introduce Cyborg in it. We'll introduce Aquaman in it. And in Batman v Superman, we saw Wonder Woman. So, to me, you know, this whole thing was a rush. Okay, so taking to this pretty guy here, right right, right there, the Flash, you know, he knows all about speed. This thing was rushed. Because instead of having, instead of building each character up like Marvel did, DC kind of looked at it like, you know what? We're way behind the eight ball, so let's just scrap everything. And our way of catching up is going to be essentially to just throw them all together. We're, we're not going to tell you about Aquaman's backstory. We're going to tell you somewhat about Wonder Woman. Batman, you should already know from the countless people that have played it. Superman, same reason. Cyborg, we're not going to talk about. And The Flash, well, if you watch the TV show, then you know what's going on. There wasn't multiple movies with Ben Affleck as Batman. There was only one with Henry Cavill as Superman. There was nothing with Cyborg. There was nothing with The Flash in the movies. Wonder Woman was, was, was you know, sparingly. And there was nothing with Aquaman. And this is supposed to become the Justice League. Well... When it comes to Marvel, they built up the characters. They built up the stories. You got to know Tony Stark, Iron Man. You got to know the Hulk. 
and Bruce Banner. You got to know Thor. You got to know Captain America, Steve Rogers. You got to know the backstories, the connections, who the Winter Soldier was. You got to know all these things. Falcon, all these characters. You got to know the Avengers. You got to meet Black Widow. You got to meet Nick Fury and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and so on and so forth and Hawkeye. And so this world, this universe was created and then Scarlet Witch. And then we started to get the Infinity Stones and this started to build up all of these characters and connect everybody. And then Ant-Man comes into it. And then from Ant-Man, the Wasp comes into it. The original Ant-Man, Hank Pym. And then we have Scott Lang who takes over the mantle. So all of these stories were being told and they were all building up to the Avengers. And then they would build up again, introduce new characters, and then it's the Avengers 2. And then they would build up again, introduce new characters, and Spider-Man and Black Panther, and now it's Avengers 3 Infinity War. And now they're building up Captain Marvel because at the end of Avengers Infinity War, Nick Fury calls on Captain Marvel. Why? Because he must have been told that she was the only one that could help, so he reaches out to her in this doomsday scenario, and now we're going to find out why, and then we're going to get Avengers Endgame. So they followed this, let's build it up, let's get you to know these characters, love these characters, understand these characters, get who they are, so when we throw them all together, it makes sense. When we throw them all together, you know their character, you know their personality, you know their powers, you know their backstory, you know what they stand for. In the case of DC, it was, you should know this, you should know that, but to, the, to young kids they don't. Again, this maybe you know from TV. This you don't know. This you kind of know, but there hasn't been anything in forever. And you don't know much about him except for he swims with the fishes, which is a totally different meaning when you're Italian. So this whole world of the Justice League, it was 10 movies premature. And then you say Henry Cavill is not going to be back. And Ben Affleck's probably not going to be back. So you just did a team-up movie. You just brought the whole team together. And Justice League 2 is going to have a different Batman and a different Superman already. Marvel signs you on and says you got eight movies. Marvel signs you on and says, we need you for this many years, this many cameos, this many movies, this many whatever. They're thinking ahead of time. DC is just throwing it at the wall. DC goes, well, they just did the Avengers. We got to do Justice League. No, you don't. Tell the stories at your pace. You're not 10 years behind. You just started telling your story. If you start out with a new Batman, and he's signed on for five, six, seven, eight movies, you, you start out with a new Superman, build his character up, you do Aquaman before Justice League, you do Wonder Woman by herself before she's with anybody, you do The Flash by himself before he's in Justice League, you do Cyborg by himself before he's in Justice League, now you're seven, eight, nine, ten movies in, then you do Justice League, then you do Justice League Dark, you can do Suicide Squad, and you bring them together. Because if you're telling Batman versus the Riddler, and you're telling Batman versus Penguin, and Batman versus the Joker, and Batman versus Bane, and then he's in Justice League, now we have this wealth of knowledge of Batman. The, the, the young kids that have never seen the Batman movies, the kids that are 5 years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, that haven't been exposed to this stuff, can see it now. Then we have Superman, and we see Superman fight Lex Luthor, and we see Superman fight, you know, the, the, we see the Martian Manhunters, we see, all these, we see all these different things that happen, we see all these characters that come in. Supergirl comes into one of the movies, it's a family affair, we see them fight together. There's all these, we see the Kryptonite, we see Spider-Man's backstory, or Spider-Man, Superman's backstory. Now it makes sense. Now we understand.
Then we bring in Doomsday, three movies in. Not like that. Then we build the Flash up, right? We see Flash's backstory. We see Dad in jail. Mom's passed away. We move on from there. Flash starts to have friends. We start to learn about the metahumans. Because the reality of it all is, if you didn't watch the TV, see, the, the movie that has no connection to the TV show for The Flash, the Justice League movie implied that you had to watch the TV show to understand what the hell a metahuman was. Because they kept saying metahuman, but if you didn't watch the TV show and you didn't read the comic book, you have no idea what's going on. Because they implied it. So the Flash TV show has no connection to the Flash movie or the Flash character in the cinemas, but you have to watch this one in order to understand this one, even though they have no connection. Again, Detach DC. Maybe DC stands for Detached Content. Maybe that's what DC is. Detached Content. Copyright TM and Print. Superpowered Pop with Dan Satora. Detached Content is DC. Cyborg. Tell the story. Okay, he's not a well-known character. He's an off-the-beaten-path character. Tell me the story about his football. Make me make me love and appreciate and respect and feel bad for him that he got football taken away, his scholarship taken away, his future taken away. Now maybe he's drinking alcohol. Maybe he's sitting at home. Maybe he's working at a grocery store, and we get to see his life. That's what I want to know before he becomes cyborg. I want to learn about his dad. I want to know why dad saved him. Does dad love him that much? Is dad obsessed with work? Is his son more of a project or does he just love his son or is it a little bit of both? Tell me the backstory. Tell me the story about Wonder Woman. Tell me where she comes from. Spend some more time with her in her home area. Tell me why they hide. Tell me what this reason is for. And don't make the God of War look like somebody that I'd find in a library hiding behind the books creeping me out. So there's all these things that DC should have done. They didn't do it. And now as they move forward, they have this Aquaman movie. And the reality of it all is he, even though he wasn't introduced, you think about it like this, okay? Aquaman did not have his own movie. He was in Justice League. So we have a workable commodity. We have an I don't know what's going on. We have an I don't know what's going on. We have an I don't know what's going on. And we have an I don't know what's going on. Because this movie is in development hell, apparently. So, you only have two characters of the Justice League that are still around. And one of them finally gets his own movie, and the movie was meh. You know what I mean? I mean, this, this movie was, it was okay. It wasn't great. You know, Mira was beautiful. We see that they stayed true to the, the comic eventually here with the green and gold armor in the trident. But ultimately, Aquaman was an interesting movie. And if you put it up against Finding Nemo, I would watch Finding Nemo a thousand times more. Finding Nemo, a movie set in the water, which is not live action, it's just voices and character generation. Finding Nemo made me more comfortable in the water world than Aquaman did. The acting didn't seem realistic. Mira's hair was way too comic book red. The movie was okay. It wasn't great. The acting was okay. It wasn't great. The jokes didn't land at the right times. And ultimately, I was left wanting more from this movie. Like 
all the DC movies that are made. I wanted Aquaman to be good. I wanted Jason Momoa's character to be good. I wanted to believe in Amber Heard as Mira. I wanted them to set her up as a potential villain of the future. I wanted this movie to hold weight. But it didn't. It's a movie that looks like it could have been made on the sci-fi channel. But a little bit better. And it makes me question if these are the only characters that you know for sure you have right now, why waste them? This is the one that you got the best chance with. This one you still have. But this is why you don't rush things. Because your Justice League is too strong. Maybe these two. But that's all you got. And that's why DC, standing for detached content, is hurting right now. Because they keep trying to do something that seems forced, it seems completely detached from the content, why I keep calling DC detached content, detached from the source material, detached from the reality, and it's almost like they've never watched a comic book movie. I understand wanting to make your own approach and having your own feel to it. But it's like they've taken Marvel's recipe for success and did the exact opposite. And it makes no sense. By the way, Dance Tour Broadcast Media, proudly fueled Super Powered Pop, Wake Up Call, and Dan on Disney are proudly fueled by Monster Energy. And uh, this just so happens to be my favorite one, Ultra Red Monster uh, Zero Calorie one here. I just like the, I like the flavor. It's a, it's, a, it's a candy type flavor, like a berry. And it's wonderful. So, Monster Energy, thank you for fueling Dan Tortora Broadcast Media. Super Powered Pop, Wake Up Call, appreciate it. Dan on Disney, thank you for fueling the shows that we do here in the Dan Tortora Broadcast Media family. Before we get hopping out of here, there's two other things I want to I take care of in this episode. One of them is Venom. Okay, I've talked about this a little bit. I didn't spend a ton of time on it. But I really liked... What they're trying to... Uh, did I think it was a great movie? No. Do I think detaching it from Spider-Man when the origin story of Venom has 100% to do with Spider-Man? No. But I'm not going to fight my knee-jerk reaction. My knee-jerk reaction was to just say to you, I thought this movie was pretty good. I liked it. I thought Tom Hardy did a great job. I think he's a tremendous actor. You know, we look at Carlton Drake, who ends up becoming Riot, played by Riz Ahmed. I thought he did a good job. Woody Harrelson is Cletus Cassidy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But ultimately, I thought that this was good. You know, we see that that J. Jonah Jameson's son's in here. So, you know, there's there's some good things that, that come of this. There's comedy with Venom. There's comedy with Tom Hardy. There's There's comedy within all of this. You know, I, I, I love when he says to the symbiote inside of him, he says, you know, what do you want for dinner? And he says, tater tots. And then he's like, and chocolate. But it's just, you know, and then it's like we can't, you know, you can only, you know, we, we can't eat people. But in the very seldom opportunity that there may be to eat a very, very bad person. And he's like, how do you know? And he's like, well, just know. And he's like, OK, you know, but it's just 
I don't know, to me in here, you see the conversation between Eddie Brock and the symbiote that together make Venom. I thought this was a great scene. The liquefied head here that we see that, you know, the symbiote is its own entity. You know, it is attached to Eddie, but it essentially can look at him and interact with him. This is a huge part of the comic book that they stayed really true to. I thought there were some things they stayed true to here. You know, I, I you know, the eyes, lungs, pancreas, so many snacks, so little time. You know, I thought that that that's actually what he says to Spider-Man. But I thought it was cool that we saw that. I thought, you know, this this relationship of when we see Venom, we can hear Eddie's voice. When we see Eddie, we can hear the symbiote's voice. So I I think, you know, to me, they, they captured that very well. They captured the conversation well. And, you know, ultimately, I thought that they did a good job with this movie. I don't think you can detach it from Spider-Man. You know, I, I think that there has to be this connected universe between the two of these. And maybe that's what they're doing with this Into the Spider-Verse movie is essentially telling us, yeah, Spider-Man exists and so does Venom, but Venom's in a different Spider-Verse. And that's why he hasn't seen Spider-Man. Maybe Spider-Man falls into his universe or vice versa. And this is where they interact with each other. Maybe they tell the story a little bit backward here. And, you know, the symbiote leaves Eddie, goes on to Spider-Man, comes back, and now here's the powers of Spider-Man, and now the white spider finally comes on here. You know, they can they can try to retroactive this thing. I don't know if that would be the best idea, you know, now that you've already told the story, but the the thought of and the and the reality that Sony's in charge of both of these properties and they have the Spider-Verse come out after we see Venom could essentially be saying Venom does exist. But we're not seeing the white spider on his chest and on his back. And we're not seeing Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, because they exist in two different realities. So, just something to think about. This, I like. I've thought about it. I feel a little bit strange about it because I feel like you should sometimes use a relatively unknown character to play these. But at the same time, you want to get people's butts in the seats. You want to get people to the movies. Woody Harrelson playing a role is going to get some people to come out just because it's Woody Harrelson. So I get that. You got to be careful about this, though, because you want them to commit, okay? We all know what happened in this scenario, right? Ben Affleck, he plays the Flash, or plays the Flash, plays Daredevil, doesn't do it again. Batman, I had fun with it. I'm going to direct the next one and star in it. Oh, I'm not going to direct the next one. Oh, guess what? I'm not going to star in it either. So, you know, that's a situation where you have to be very choosy about the actors you pick because you have to tell Woody Harrelson, we're going to need you to sign on for the next three to four movies. We're going to need you for five or six movies just to say, how about this? In your lifetime, five to six, we might only use you for two, but we'll have your rights if we ever want to bring out a bunch of other ones after that. What do I think about this final scene? I think it's good. He says, he says to Eddie, when I get out, and I will, there will be carnage. And there will be. Because when he gets out, he will turn into carnage. And you see the black that looks like venom here, and then the red, because symbiotes asexually reproduce. And so the symbiote that's attached to Eddie that is venom essentially sees something in Cletus Cassidy, who's played by Woody Harrelson, detaches a baby, so to speak, its offspring, which 
bonds with Woody Harrelson and has the remnants of the black of Venom, but creates this new symbiote, which is Carnage, which we see this different look and this, you know, he can he can turn his body into weapons and he has the red, which, you know, to me symbolizes the rage because Woody Harrelson's character, Cletus Cassidy, is a serial killer who's in this maximum security prison because he's very scary and, you know, nobody wants to be around somebody who is this lethal. Now, bonding Cletus Cassidy on the right here, played by Woody Harrelson, to Carnage, to the symbiote that becomes Carnage, bonding this together is like giving Freddy Krueger invincibility. That's how I want you to think about this scenario. It's if Freddy Krueger had invincibility. So, do I think it's a good idea? Absolutely, I want to see Carnage. I've gone back and forth on if I like the fact that it's Woody Harrelson, but Woody Harrelson's a tremendous actor, and he can act in a lot of different roles, and I believe him. I believe him when he's in Now You, now you See Me, and then I believe him when he's in Hunger Games. He's playing different characters, and then in Zombieland. I believe him everywhere he goes. So, I guess the answer to my question is, yeah, he is believable wherever he's at. So I think it's a good idea. I think it's fun. Only if they carry it out and only if they do it the right way. And again, Sony, I'll give you my phone number. When you need it, I'm going to do it on air here, but I'm more than happy to give you my phone number. I would love the opportunity to work with Sony on the Spider-Verse. I'd love to just have an office, have my desk, and just work on the Spider-Verse all the time and then just have the and, and then just sit and meet about it. I'm telling you right now, we would do amazing, amazing things. Pun intended. Last thing I want to talk about in this show, my binge-watching supreme here. Okay, I love this show. Love it so much. Runaways. Now, I want to I want to describe the characters here. So let me get let me get my let me get my whiteboard out here so that we can spend some time with these characters. I want to start with with the man in the middle here, the 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 leader, so to speak of this whole thing, and that is Alex Wilder. Okay, now Alex Wilder, he does not take on a superhero persona. He he does not have any superpowers. He has incredible intelligence and a tactical mind, keeps his friends out of trouble. He's good at hacking, good at using electronics and, you know, doing different things on the computer and whatnot. He has a lot of awesome things. His obsession with video games has helped him in his tactical ability and he is known as the leader, despite the fact that he has no powers, which I think is a, a great way of telling the story with the Runaways, is having their leader, having the one that kind of bonds them all together and keep them out of trouble, be the only one that doesn't have a power, so to speak. To Alex's left is, is that, you know, love interest that we're seeing in the TV show. And that love interest is Sister Grimm, Nico Minoru. And Sister Grimm is connected to the magical arts, okay? So this is a Doctor Strange type of world. The magical artifact is known as the Staff of One. It's the staff that has the big circle on the top of it. She discovers her parents are dark wizards. She absorbs the staff when her mother attempts to attack her. It lives in her body in the comic books, and she can call it forth to use its magic. Although she's deeply connected to the staff, she seems unaware of how powerful it can be. And Dormammu, who we saw in the first Doctor Strange movie, which is canon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he is actually afraid 
of this staff of one. So Dormammu is afraid of the staff that's in possession of Sister Grimm, who is in The Runaways, which connects this TV show to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, the use of the staff is reliant on blood magic. She has to cut herself in order to call the staff forth. So, you know, we, we look at the fact that, you know, it, it kind of it cuts her finger when she's using this. So we see the black magic and we see magic in general with Sister Grimm, who's right here. And, you know, to me, I, I think I think her thing is awesome because we're seeing the magical side of it. We're connecting to Dormammu. We're connecting to Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange, his entire universe and the Ancient One and whatnot, and I just think the magical side of it is really cool, that kind of dark arts thing. So there's some of that in DC as well. And then we come over to all the way to the left, and we see the purple hair, which I think is awesome. And essentially, this character that we see that I've just uh, circled here is Gert Yorks, a.k.a. Arsenic. Now, I want to go to another picture here because... The best thing about Arsenic is Old Lace, who, which is the name of the dinosaur. Arsenic and Old Lace, which is actually a play that my high school CBA put on, Arsenic and Old Lace, that I watched in our, at that time, new auditorium. And so I just think it's kind of a, you know, to me, this is a Easter egg back to my past that we have Arsenic and Old Lace. I'm ecstatic that there's a dinosaur in this show. If you want to find a way to my heart and you want my eyes and viewership, Put a dinosaur or a dragon or both in any show. I don't care if it's two and a half men. You 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 put a dinosaur in there, and I'm watching, and I'm a part of it, and I'm engaged. So Arsenic and Old Lace, which we're seeing right here on the screen, I'm a big fan of both of them. Now Gert is a is purple haired. Uh, she's all about you know women's rights rights and whatnot. She's you know kind of going against the grain type of thing, social justice warrior and whatnot. Now she doesn't have any powers per se. But she's psionically connected to this dinosaur, to Old Lace. She is connected through her mind that when she has an emotion, it listens to her whatever she asks it to do. It automatically responds to her. And if she tells it to back down, it backs down, sit, sit, just like any animal. But it only listens to Gert, Arsenic, and Old Lace, this connection that they have. It's a telepathic link. And it's connected to Gert's emotional state. If she's angry at someone, then Old Lace is angry at that person. If she likes someone and tells the dinosaur Old Lace, hey, it's okay, then all of a sudden the dinosaur is calm with that person. So I think it's really cool. I think it's awesome. And Gert's parents are time travelers. They went back to the 87th century, and that's how they got this beautiful dino who's named Old Lace. Going to the rest of the team here on the other side of Alex, We'll go right here to this gentleman up next, and that gentleman here is Chase Stein, a.k.a. Talkback. Chase Stein is the only other male Runaways member. He doesn't have natural superpowers, but he's the son of incredible inventors. Chase is innately talented with machinery, which he can understand and manipulate without knowing how, exactly how he does it. He fights with a couple of gadgets that he stole from his parents' home, he has a pair of x-ray glasses as well as a pair of gloves that we've seen in the TV show called the Fistigons. The Fistigons are pyrokinetic, allowing him to shape and shoot fire from his hands. So he, just like Alex, the two men in this group are not super powered, but we look at the mind of Alex 
that helps out the team, and then also the mind of Chase, who helps out the team, and his ability to create things and his intelligence with science. So you have the the computer and hacker intelligence, then you have the scientific, you know, creation of of different weapons and whatnot science, and then you have the fact that his parents are, you know, very smart as well, and his father's very rich, and they have a connect, you know, they can basically get whatever they need when they need it. So that makes these two non-superpowered characters of the Runaways very powerful and meaningful to the group. Then that brings us to the right of Chase, which is Carolina Dean. Now, Carolina is somebody in this who is, I mean, her character, it's funny, her alter ego is LSD. So Carolina, she discovered her powers after she takes off her bracelet. Now, her bracelet is is worn because, you know, she's told she has to wear this. She's connected to a church with her mom and her dad, and she ends up taking this off, and she realizes that she can glow. She's also drunk at the time, so she doesn't know what's going on. Chase saves her from a very potentially horrible moment in her life, thank God, and hope everybody gets saved in those moments and hopefully never even has to be in those moments. She gets saved in hers, and, and, and Carolina is able to, you know, move on in, in a story that, that was uh, it was just a really rough moment. You know, she was almost sexually abused. She ends up being saved by Chase, and she realizes that night that she has some type of power, and what she can actually do is she can fly. She's superhumanly strong and is, and is impervious to heat. She has an extraterrestrial heritage, and she took the name Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which is L-S-D. So, also on the Runaways, she is homosexual, and that creates a different thing that we're not used to seeing on television with these characters, is that, you know, this is actually something that's in the comic books. It's not something that was recreated or, or, or changed from the comics. She is a lesbian, and in being a lesbian, she finds herself a kind of a love triangle with Nico and Alex because Alex likes Nico, Nico likes Alex, but then Carolina also likes Nico. And this, and then amidst all of that, Chase likes Carolina. So, you know, there's this kind of, maybe not even a triangle, it's a square type of relationship. So, you know, her powers are very cool, uh, extraterrestrial, very exciting, and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, create this world that is it's it's more true to the the comics that we're used to seeing those those crazy superpowers and whatnot and just her abilities and, and this this alien heritage and then also keeping true to kind of that mutant type power is all the way to the rights and the final character that we're going to discuss in here and that character being Molly Hernandez aka Princess Powerful now she's adopted by Gert's parents when her parents are killed and Molly Hernandez becoming princess powerful she's the youngest member of the runaways she's kind of pushed aside a lot and it definitely at the beginning of the shows but she is someone who is very powerful uh, wants to be understood like i said she's kind of like the runt of the group and she's fighting for her place in the group she's the child of telepathic mutants and possesses super strength and invulnerable uh, invulnerability she is incredibly powerful but when she uses her powers, it exhausts her. The more she uses, the more tired she becomes, which has stayed true from the comics to the show 
itself. So I think this is really cool. And, uh, and you know, originally Molly Hayes, not Molly Hernandez, her name changed from the comics. Also in the comics, Molly's eyes glow pink and purple when she uses her powers. But what we're seeing in this is that her eyes are gold in the TV show, Goldish Orange. Her parents' story and her abilities may also have a different explanation and whatnot. So we are seeing some changes with Molly in this. They make her Molly Hernandez, Princess Powerful. They change the color of her eyes. But essentially, her super strength, her invulnerability, her incredible powerfulness, and the fact that when she uses her powers, she gets exhausted. And the more she uses, the more strain she puts on herself, the more exhausted she gets. All of that stayed true. And when you look essentially here at these characters, you know, when you look at the dinosaur, even the hair on the top that's colored and kind of like a fin, that stayed true to the comics. And then as we see here, you know, there's a, a lot of connection here to these characters, you know, finding people outside of the long hair of Chase here. But they've stayed very true to what these characters look like in the comic books, which I thought is pretty tremendous and amazing because you want to stay true to that and obviously stay true to the people that know who these characters are before you tried to sell them. So ultimately it's my, it's my, you know, number one binged show that I'm currently watching. And so I want to give a shout out to the runaways and the entire staff for that. So once again, in today's episode, we spoke on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and its institution and it created the, the opening the door to the Spider-Verse, which they could use in live action. And then we have the DC conundrum, DC standing for detached content, Aquaman leaving more to be desired, Venom doing a pretty good job, Woody Harrelson's Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, growing on me, and The Runaways being the show that I just can't stop watching. This has been your first episode of 2019 of Superpowered Pop here with Dan Tortora inside of the Superpowered Pop Studios. Find us on superpoweredpop.com. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all at Superpowered Pop. And we have obviously merchandise here with our t-shirt and so much more. So thank you so much for tuning in. You can find this episode right here on Facebook by going to at Superpowered Pop to watch back this video. And you can also see or you can also listen in on superpoweredpop.podbean.com or searching Superpowered Pop with Dan Satora in the podcast of iTunes or going straight to Superpowered Pop. So plenty of ways to listen and watch this episode and everything coming up. We will have plenty of episodes for you and every single week you can plan on seeing Superpowered Pop. So thank you for your time and thank you for being a part of the show and thank you to everybody that's continuing to create this world that we love to live in, the fantasy world that used to only exist in our comic books is now on our television sets and in our theaters. Thank you to all the creators, to the people that were unafraid to take a chance. God bless you. I salute you. Have a great day. We'll talk with you soon.